0: on there, and the sermon notes. If you want to follow along on the sermon notes, you can get that all on the digital hymnal. Um, before we get into the sermon, we're in actually in Psalms chapter 1. Uh, we're starting a new series about We Are Redeemer, talking about who we are as a church, uh, and five uh, kind of outcomes that we are praying that God would produce here at our church. Um, churches aren't just, uh, just a building by which people come once a week. And worship Jesus for a, an hour and then go home. Uh, there's more going on with the church. We are the people of God, right? And, and, and the Bible tells us is that when the church gathers together and God is present in his church, things happen. And we want to talk about five things that we are praying that God would cause to happen here at our church. And the first thing we're going to talk about is worship. We believe that we want, to, we want God to produce worshipers of himself— through Redeemer Fellowship Church. And before we start in Psalms chapter 1, I want to, uh, first off, if you are new here at Redeemer Fellowship Church, thank you for coming. You are presently, I believe this is true, we are, this is the youngest church, I think, in Evansville. When I mean youngest, I'm talking about the age of the people who come here. I think it's the youngest church in Evansville. Um, and uh, so um, uh, thank you for being here. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for finding us. Um, but we want to know who you are. There's a blue card. Uh, some of the, some of the blue cards are in front of you. If you're in the back in one of those chairs, there are some blue cards on that uh, kind of fancy table we have built right there. You can go grab one if you want, or you can get one after the service. We would love for you to fill this out. On the front, it's kind of a fun, uh, which one of you would you choose to know you a little bit. And on the back, it's uh, tell us about you. Uh, name, phone number, email, prayer request, things like that. We'd love for you to fill one out. If you fill one out, you get a gift. So there is a benefit for filling this out. Not only do we get your phone number, but we also will give you a gift. And we have some books. We have a few books that we'd like to give you, um, and give you as a gift. And also we have a coffee cup. All right? Everyone has to get a coffee cup when they come to a church for the first time. We have a coffee cup for you, and we'd love to, to know you and give you that gift. Uh, the other thing, this is not for free. Uh, this is, I think, $7. I can't remember, Robert. But Robert Hudson, who uh, Pastor Robert here, who leads worship here, he is also he just released an album, a hip hop album, album. He called Proper, and it's very good. If you're into Christian hip hop, I want to encourage you to buy this. You can also get it on Spotify. Uh, but go find Robert Hudson. You've seen him on the stage. You know what he looks like. Ask him about his music, and he would love to tell you about it. It's kind of his passion, and he is using it to make God's name known. Not just to make music, but to glorify Christ. All right. So Psalms chapter one. chapter 1. Not sure who wrote this psalm. Maybe it was King David. A lot of people say King David wrote this. Um, maybe he wrote 1 and 2, possibly. Um, so Psalms chapter 1. If you don't know where Psalms is, just kind of take your Bible and open it to the middle. You'll fall into Psalms. If you're using your phone, well, you, don't really, you can't really use that, right? So just uh, obviously you can find it pretty easily on your phone. But Psalms chapter 1. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful to be in your house. We're so thankful, Lord, to be reading from your word, to be singing songs of praise to you, to be giving, Lord, to your kingdom, to your church. Reading and praying together as believers, fellowshipping with one another, sharing coffee and, and, and talking and getting to know one another. Where we thank you for all these things. They're all graces that you provide us. When I pray for those who are not with us. We pray that you would be with them. We pray, Lord, that you would instruct them through your word as they're away. You would bring refreshment to them and peace, Lord, that only Christ can provide. Lord, for, we pray for those who are our students here who have started uh, a new semester at, at, at USI, Lord, we pray for them. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage them as I know that their their weeks are stressful with, with all the, the COVID guidelines. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage them and strengthen them through your word. We pray for our teachers and our other students who are, off to school, who are going to school right now. We pray that you would encourage them as well and strengthen them through their trials and dealing with all the COVID guidelines as well, Lord. We pray that you would be with your churches who are also doing the same thing and having to the distance and and possibly just do worship online. Lord, we pray that you would help us in the midst of this troubling time. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's encouraging to really read six verses of a Bible. We, we were going through the book of Revelation this summer, and we had... Long chapters that we preached through, multiple chapters that we preached through in one week. Some some weeks we didn't even read the whole passage because it was just so long. I think last week, we were, I think we preached through 48, 49 verses at once. So it was nice to have something short and just, and, and direct. And uh, so the, the title of our sermon today is We Are Redeemer. We Are Redeemer, and uh, we want to talk about worshipers. Uh, we are worshipers of God, and we want to produce worshipers of God. The main idea is the one who delights in God— ...is planted in God's abundant grace, which causes him or her to prosper. The one who delights in God is planted in God's abundant grace, which causes him or her to prosper. Uh, Even though we spent a whole summer in Revelation, I'm actually going to dip into it just for a second here. There is a phrase that John uses this repeatedly in the book of Revelation. He calls the people who aren't righteous, the people who aren't faithful to Christ, who are not believers in Christ... He calls them something particular. He calls them dwellers of earth, or those who dwell on earth. He's not talking about everyone who dwells on earth. He's talking about people who worship the things of the world, who worship uh, idols of the world, Doesn't who, who don't worship Christ Jesus, who don't worship God. He calls them dwellers of earth. Basically, what I'm saying is, is these are idolaters. They don't worship God. They worship something else. And as Paul says in Romans, they worship creation itself, not the creator. So what is idolatry? Idolatry is a difficult term for us to understand because we don't. Even though if you actually, some of us who've been in Nepal, we understand this quite well, right? They worship statues, right? They they actually in, in Nepal, the Hindus, uh, they uh, one day a week they went, someone will go out to one of the temples, small little temples on the sidewalk, and they will they will take a, a piece of rope or a piece of thread and wrap it around the the, the statue, right? This, this is how people worship. They worship statues. But in our modern context, in America and the West, we don't particularly people don't just go to, to buildings and worship statues. That's not something that is common, in, especially in Evansville, especially in Indiana. But Paul says in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 that greed and covetousness is idolatry, that you can actually be an idol worshiper, but actually not even worship by a statue or a tree. you could be an idolatry by just simply being greedy or coveting someone else's things. So you can worship something, you can actually fall into idolatry by simply worshiping money. That is actually idolatry. If you are, I know when I was a kid, I mean, I worshiped Michael Jordan. And how you know I worship Michael Jordan is because every basketball season, my grandfather would buy me the Michael Jordan Nikes, right? I would be sporting on my on the basketball court in the rec league Michael Jordan's new basketball shoes. I don't know how much he paid for them. Probably far more than I, he should have paid for them. But I would always sport the new Jordans. And I would have Michael Jordan hats and shirts. And when I played basketball, no, I'm not lying, my tongue would be sticking out. And other kids would do the same, right? It was just in the 90s when Jordan was so popular, we all kind of modeled him. He was our idol. We worshipped and kind of, did what he did. And, and girls and, and others, uh, they, you know they will worship pop stars, dress like pop stars. I know in the 80s when Madonna was a big thing, girls would dress like Madonna. They, they worshipped these stars. And so this is what John's saying in Revelation. These are people who dwell on the earth. They worship people on earth. They worship the things of earth and the world. This is what idolatry is. You worship idols. You worship things that are not God. And what you're doing is, and what people are doing is, is that they're looking to things on earth for their security and trust. There there can't be anything beyond the earth, beyond the world, that they can get their security or their trust. And so what they really are, they're rooted in the earth. They are planted, and what they believe is that the world will provide them what they need. Or the things of the world, or the people of the world, will provide what they need, but only God, that only God could provide so why does God destroy the earth? Because the earth is full of idolatry. It's full of idols. And he destroys them. He judges them. Idolatry can can be any commitment to something that is not God. That is someone's idol. So if you're committed to anything or something that is not God, the God of the Bible, the one true God, then this is worship. This is idolatry. Martin Luther, the great reformer from Germany, wrote, Idolatry is trusting in something Other than God, for your ultimate security and happiness. So I want to make the argument today. We're in the world, we make arguments, right? I want to make an argument to you. I want to persuade you, everyone here in this room, this morning, that you should be more regularly involved in worship. You should be more regularly involved in worship. That means not simply like putting headphones in your ears and going off to the lake and that's worship. I mean worshiping God amongst other people with the church that you should regularly do this. Hopefully you do it once a week, at the minimum, that you should be worshipers, that you should be involved regularly in worship. And I also want to make the argument to you this morning that you should be reading God's Word daily, because this is a way of worship. This is what worshipers of God do. They worship God with the believers, with his children, and they delight in his Word. And if you're not doing these things, if you're not delighting in God, if you're not delighting in His, in His graces, you're not delighting in the things of God, then you're worshiping something else, and you're not a worshiper of God. And what did I say before? We want to make worshipers of God here at Redeemer Fellowship Church. These are the fruits of your love of Christ, that you delight in Christ. This is a desired outcome of our ministries here at Redeemer Fellowship Church, that you become a worshiper of God. So let's look at Psalms chapter 1. So the, the, the main point here... You you kind of uh, uh, reason this after, after my introduction, you are what you worship, or you become what you worship. You are what you worship. Uh, there's a, a theologian named G.K. Bill, big fan of G.K. Bill. He wrote a book called We Become What We Worship. We become what we worship. And he makes the argument that in Genesis 1.26, man and woman are created in the image of God. They are created to reflect something. Your main function or the main uh, uh, core of who you are as a person is a reflector of God's image. But then after the fall, after sin came into the world, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you no longer reflect God, but you reflect something else, and that thing is the world. You reflect the things of the world. You reflect, uh, you know, idols of the world. And we cease to be pure image bearers of God. And what does Paul say in Romans 1, 18 through 26? He says, people become like the idols they worship. People worship the things of the world. They worship creation, not the creator himself. They begin to reflect the creation instead of the creator. Pleasure and lifestyle and freedom are major idols today. People idolize these things. and They idolize the people who identify with these things. Those are the things of the world. They're the things that are God created. They're not the creator himself. And God's the one that created pleasure. God's the one that created freedom. But yet people actually worship these concepts and worship these things. And they don't actually worship the one who actually created it. Psalm in Romans 12, 1 through 2, God, Paul tells. Uh, The the church in Rome to be committed to God will be conformed to this world do not become like the world become like God Right don't worship the world don't worship creation if you do that you will become like it do not be conformed do not become like the world Be more like Christ be like become like God you become what you worship So Psalms 1 1 through 3 we see that in the, kind of the beginning of this psalm, and so the first main point, or first subpoint, is is that the person of God, sorry, the person of good fortunes is a worshipper of God. The person of good fortunes is a worshipper of God. The way that it starts here is, blessed is the man, blessed is the one, blessed there. In a Hebrew, is a plural word. This man, this one, this man, woman, they are blessed. They have the blessings of god they have all the good blessings of god not just one particular thing they are blessed by god psalmist describes the condition of one who is blessed which is faithfulness to god and worship and the perishing consequences of the one who is unfaithful and worship to god so you get this two different parts in this song blessed is the one who doesn't do these things but does this things but the one who does, who does these things and doesn't delight in the word of God, they're the unfaithful, the faithless ones, they shall be judged. They shall perish. So he presents these two contrasting uh, ways of life or paths of life. The path of the faithful one, the worshiper of God, and the path of the unworshipper or the faithless one. So who is blessed and who is judged by God? The one who is blessed, the one who may receive all the fortunes of God, he doesn't do these things. In the psalmist mentions three things. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does it mean to walk? He doesn't listen to the advice of the faithless. He doesn't listen to the counsel of the world. When you go into a bookstore or you go on Amazon, you're going to see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of self-help books, Right? This is a huge business of writing literature to help you produce something or to feel something. There's so many podcasts and, and whatever and TV shows that will give you ways or advice on how you should live your life in ways that you can be happy so that you can make more money, be more successful, be thinner, be happier, be a better mom, a better dad, be a better business person, a better salesman, whatever the list is this advice is saying to you listen to me and you will get what you want but those things are not God those things are not the Word of God those things are opposed to God and the one who listens to this advice is one who is led to being one who doesn't worship God or one who is unfaithful to God he also stands in the way of sinners what does that mean to stand in the way of sinners he's standing firm And it becomes the way of his life, so he listens to the advice of the world, he listens to their counsel, he sees that what I want in my life, what I desire the most is to be richer, to be thinner, to be happier, to be more successful, uh, to be a better student, whatever it is, that's my ultimate goal in life, and to to, 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 to achieve that end, I'm going to listen to it, and then I'm going to take that advice, I'm going to take that counsel, and then I'm going to apply it to my life. I'm going to make it my philosophy of life. I'm going to accept or adopt this philosophy. You're going to act on the advice of the unfaithful. You start acting on the advice of those who don't worship God. And it becomes your way of life. So then you become, a, it says here, you, nor sit in the seat of mockers or scoffers. So basically you've listened to the advice. You've now made it and adopted it as your philosophy, your worldview, your way of life. You then sit and take part in their deliberation. You become an active member or elder. You become a a part of the community of mockers. You become an expert in the ways of the world. You become a disciple of others. You start teaching other people. People will come to you, and you will tell them how to live their life and how they can be more successful or richer or, or thinner or whatever it is. You become one who becomes the teacher. This is kind of a progression of unbelief. You start off as someone who is interested in the ways of the world. You listen to it. You, then you adopt it as your way of life. And then you become one of the ones who become the teacher. Moving people away from God. So the blessed one, the one who has seized all the, the fortunes of God, is, doesn't fall into these traps. They do not listen They do not stand with, they do not sit in the seat. Instead, it says, but, which is a contrasting description, but his delight or her delight is in God. Their pleasure, their source of joy is the word of God. What they find the most interesting, the most significant, and the most important is God. And that's just like the law, right? It says "law of God," but that is a description to kind of say everything about God's word, God's uh, God's actions and His work, what He did for Israel and Egypt, what He did for Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, what He did, what God accomplished, is one thing. When we think about delighting in the Word of God, think about what He did, His works, His actions, His character, His being, who God is, you delight in. You delight in His teachings. How to live as an image bearer of God, you delight in that, and you find pleasure in knowing how to live your life according to the word of God, to reflect him. And again, like I said before, Genesis 126, you were created to do what? To reflect God. And you realize that, and you want to be an image bearer of God, you want to reflect God, so you delight in God, and you delight in his teachings, because you want to know how you can reflect God. To not reflect the image of what is popular or posh, or even your family, but to reflect God's image. That is your chief uh, end. That is your chief uh, uh, way of life, is to reflect God. You know, my daughter, who is now seven, one thing that she wanted for her birthday was a Jojo bow. I don't know if you know what that is, right? The big bows? Yeah, those big bows. I guess she was on YouTube or whatever. She really wanted one of these bows. And I caught when she was like talking about it with one of her friends, I didn't know she was so interested in this. She's never watched it, but she's probably heard other of her friends at school or wherever talk about the Jojo Ball bows. And uh, and she kept on talking about this, right? This girl, I guess she was a girl, I don't really know much about it, but she, is this, uh, she does these videos and the kids watch it, they like it and they wanna look like her. Or princesses, they watch princesses on TV and they watch these shows and they want to wear dresses and they want to look like these princesses, which is not bad. But what it creates, it, even within children, is to reflect something, right? To reflect some image. And most of the time, what they reflect is the things of the world. I mean, superheroes are a reflection of the things that are created, not the creator himself. And again, I don't take this as I'm saying it's wrong to let your children dress up like. Like Spider-Man, that's not the point. But I'm telling you that really early on in in, in childhood, you start wanting to reflect something. So this is something that is is a core of who we are as humans, is to reflect something. And you are ultimately created to reflect God, not the world. So we are created and we delight in God's teaching because we want to uh, reflect Christ Jesus' image. What does Paul say in Romans 8, 28? That all things happen for good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. And that you are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is the purpose of your life. Everything that happens in your life is to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. So the person who delights in God and worship God knows this, that his ultimate purpose in life is to reflect Christ. And so that's why he delights in the words of God. The delight in the person of God. Delighting in the person of God leads to worship. If you don't delight in God, if you don't know God, you will not worship him. So by knowing God, by delighting in his word, delighting in his person, in his character, in his teaching, in his works, in his actions, you want to praise him. You want to worship him. You want to pray to him. You want to rely on him because you know God is the one of all power and authority. He's the Lord over everything. So you pray to him knowing that he is the one to talk to and to ask for things. You testify of his majesty. Why? Because you know his greatness. You know his power. You know his love. You know his mercy. You realize that through his word. And therefore, you want to testify to others about it. You want to talk about this joy. You want to tell friends and family members about this great joy that you have because you delight in God's word. Uh, a quick little story here. When I went to Istanbul, I was like after college, went on this uh, pretty uh, this adventurous trip through Greece and to, other, and, and, and to Turkey. Went to Istanbul, and when we first got to Istanbul, we were on something, a bus. Uh, I can't remember exactly. And uh, the day before we got there, there was this big soccer match in Istanbul. And the uh, Istanbul uh, club team played one of the big European teams and they won. This was big news. I mean, the Istanbul team wasn't all that great and they were able to beat one of the the pretty prominent European power soccer teams. And this guy who had, I mean, he doesn't know who we are. We're Americans, he's from Turkey, and he starts talking to us about this soccer match, right? He's like, and he just started, he was so happy, you could tell he was so just full of joy that his team had beaten this this big rival uh, European team. Because if you are delighting in something, what will you do? You will be full joy from it. And those who are delighting in God, who find their pleasure in God, will talk about it. Because that's where they find their joy. And people, all of us have joys in our life, right? And it's things that we talk about with other people. For those who have children, we talk about our children all the time, right? It's all over our Facebook page, all about our children. If, if you're in here it's about either work drama, like you just talk to people about work drama. This person did this, this person did that, I can't believe we did this, or that. You just talk to people over and over again about work drama. Or you have favorite shows or favorite movies or favorite sports teams. You talk about it all the time. Why? Because it's your joy, it's where you get your joy from. You delight in that thing. There's a reason why people don't talk about Jesus and God with people because they don't actually find their joy in it. they find their joy in other things in the world, and they're actually worshiping those things and are being— uh, Uh, and they're committed to those things and they're actually reflecting those things because they're becoming what they worship. This one who is is blessed, he doesn't do the things of the world, he he delights in God's word, he meditates on uh, God day and night. It's a way of life for him. His escape, his refuge, his vacation spot is with God. Because so for us, we need to go escape from the world. What do we do? We go to to Florida or all these different places. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But sometimes we we discover that our true refuge, our true uh, escape is not in God. It's instead, it's in the things of the world. So our chief delight is not actually God and Christ. It's the things of the world. For this blessed one, this blessed man... He worships and delights in God, so he finds God as his refuge. He finds in God where he is refreshed. In understanding God more, he's actually refreshed. He doesn't find it taxing. He doesn't find it as, oh my gosh, I have to work, I have to know more about God. No, he finds it as his delight and pleasure. His safe place, his place of worship is with God. And what does the psalmist describe it like? He uses this parable... To describe it in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. We have to stop there. We can't read that fast. In this culture, in this geography, there wasn't a lot of abundance of streaming water. This is a desert uh, land, right? And for a tree to be near streams of water is a good thing. In a dry climate, there was a lot of shrubs and bushes, but not a lot of trees that produce fruit because of the lack of water. But a tree that's rooted near an abundant water source will prosper. Unlike some dry desert shrubs, you produce no fruit, show no evidence of health. Why? Because there's no streams of water. There's no source of abundant water. But this man who is blessed, he is planted near streams of water. Not just one stream, but an abundance of streams of water. And the way that we should interpret the streams of water is the graces of God. This person is planted in the graces of God. He takes root in the graces of God. He draws his source of nourishment from God's graces. But what is God's graces? Reading God's word, meditating on God's word, hearing the preaching of God's word, what you're doing right now, listening to the teaching of God's word, if you're part of a Bible study or or listening to a lecture or listening to a podcast about God's Word, singing God's Word, songs that uh, edify and, 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 and reflect God's Word, eating and drinking, the communion, the Lord's Supper, God's Word, fellowship with the body of believers. These are all graces of God. So if you delight in God and you are planted in God, you are planted in His graces. Why would you not want to be in His graces? Why would you forsake being in the graces, of God. Why would you rather be a tree planted in the sand in the desert than being a tree planted by streams of water? It doesn't make any sense. God plants us by His grace into His graces. This is a big point here. You cannot plant yourself in God by your own will. It's by God's grace that you're actually planted in His graces. Praying for God's grace to shine on those who are not planted in God's graces who are not rooted in Jesus Christ. If you know anyone who's not a believer in Jesus, if you don't pray for them, like you're almost saying that they can come to Jesus by themselves. By praying for them, you're making the the logical, and you're reading God's word saying, by the will of man, no one will ever be planted in God's graces, but by God's grace, they will be planted in God's graces. And so I will pray that God will show grace on them so that they will be planted in God's graces and then be nourished by his graces and be blessed. And receive the fortunes of God and be a worshiper of God. It's hopeless to transform a heart to Christ without the amazing grace of God to be applied to their hearts. When you're planted in God's graces you're like a tree who yields its fruit in its season. Most of the time fruit is grown in circumstances heat, the summer. A time of weariness is when, when actually when fruit is tend to be grown and then it's harvested in the fall harvested in the prophets. She said, but it must go through the trials of circumstance and the summer heat to then produce its fruit. See, we think that the Christian life is just like literally, even when we read this passage, we go, oh yeah, yeah, it's like being planted by streams of water, nothing bad will ever happen to me because I'm planted by streams of water, right? God will only just shine blessings on me, nothing bad will ever happen to me. That's not actually how you yield fruit. You yield fruit in circumstances of life. Uh, There's a great book called How People Change, And he makes the argument that people change when we were rooted in Christ, when circumstances, either good or bad, happen in their life. They then, because they're rooted in Christ, because their heart is rooted in Christ, because they're rooted in the graces of God, even in bad or good circumstances, they will produce fruit. If they're not rooted in Christ, if they're not planted in the graces of God, they will produce thorns, either good or bad circumstances. We tend to think that if only, all we need is good circumstances in our life, then we'll produce fruit. There are times in your life when good things happen to you, and you actually produce thorns. Because you're full of pride, you're full of self-righteousness, you're full of your own faithfulness in your own self, and you don't actually trust God, even in good circumstances. It's leaves do not wither, and everything he does, he prospers. What did God tell to Joshua before Joshua entered into the land, took the Israelites into the land? He told them to be what? Faithful to the law, faithful to God. And if he's faithful to God, he will prosper. And don't think of this as prospering in this type of materialistic wealthness. God's plan for your life is not to be richer. His plan for your life is to be more like Christ. That's what prosper means here. Spiritual blessings. Blessed man understands what is truly important, what is truly profitable. The highest goal is spiritual prosperity. What is that? The wisdom of God. Uh, the, uh, The writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, says to his son to what? To go and pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Be wise. Pursue wisdom. That is your highest goal, is the wisdom of God. So you prosper when you're planting the graces of God. You do not wither either in good circumstances or bad circumstances. If you are what? Pursuing God and his wisdom, you will prosper. Who doesn't want to prosper? Who doesn't want the wisdoms of God? See, that's the problem with Christians and people that are a little interested in Christianity. Their pursuits are not God and his wisdom. Their pursuits are other things. And they get really uh, disappointed and frustrated when they don't receive those other things. Why? Because that's not God's will for you. His will for you is to be like his son. And you're really frustrated with God's word and with church. If your pursuits are for a marriage or your pursuit is to get a bunch of friends or your pursuits is to be more moral. But if your pursuit is God, you will receive the wisdom of God. You'll be planted in his, his graces and you will prosper. I love this, Isaiah 61-3, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness. What a great word, oaks. That he may be glorified, because your roots are in Christ. You're like an oak tree who has deep, old roots that will never be pushed over. The last point here is the person who perishes is a worshiper of idols. The person who perishes is a worshiper of idols. This is verses 4 and 5. The wicked are not so. I like, I like to use words not wicked because that's a word that like and it, it, I understand what it means. It's, it Bible it, uses a lot, but I think unfaithful or faithless, the faithless one or the unfaithful or the unworshipper of God is doesn't do this. He doesn't delight in God. He does not delight in His Word, but walks in the counsel of the wicked and stands in the way of sinners, and sits in the seat of mockers. He walks in his own understanding. He develops his own way of life apart from the wisdom of God. He joins the community and voices of those who rage at the things of God. They delight in the things of the world. They are earth dwellers. They worship the things of the world. And because they worship the things of the world, they're not planted in God's graces, and they but are like shack. That blows, the wind blows away. When the wheat is harvested, The fruit, which is heavier, falls to the ground, and the shaft, which has no value to the farmer, is then blown away by the wind. The plotting and pursuits of the faithless are in vain. Your pursuits, when you pursue the things of the world, when you listen to their counsel, when you make that your way of life, when you sit with them in their congregation, it is valueless. It has no value. God says your plotting is in vain. Romans 6, 20 through 23. I love Paul here. He says, what fruits did you receive from the pursuits of the world? Like, what fruits did you receive? What value did you receive by pursuing the world? Paul pursued wisdom of the world, and he said that was valueless. It had no value. Paul calls the end of those things death. Then why pursue them with such vigor if it leads to death? And that's really what the world's doing. If you're someone here who worships the world and wants to be like the world, you want to be rich like the world, you want the lifestyle of the world, you want the success of the world, you want, the, the, you want, the, uh, you want to look like the world. Paul is saying that you know, that leads to death, by the way. Like, it leads to death. Why are you so pursuing this with such vigor? Why pursue them? Why delight in them above the things of God? Why be a student of the world and not a student of God? It doesn't lead anywhere profitable. Why pursue degrees and masters and internships and promotions and recommendations and forsake the regular worship of God and the reading of God's work? Because I know, some of you are college students here, I know I've been a college student pastor for seven, I think now 10 years. It's the same story. You get a student comes to, comes to college, they have some Christian background, they, they interact with a few campus ministries and maybe they interact with a few churches and then they make the decision, you know what, I'm here to go to college so I'm just going to pursue college and school and studying, so I'm not going to go to church on Sunday morning. I want a bunch of friends, so I'm going to stay up really late on Saturday and never get up on Sunday morning, and that becomes your pursuit, and when you do that, you become a student of the world and not a student of God, and what do you earn or produce from that? Why forsake God for those things? The Bible says it's valueless. Those vigorous pursuits lead to destruction and death. Why pursue them with such vigor? I'm not saying don't study. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't do internships. The Bible's not saying that, and I'm not saying that. But it's the attitude by which you pursue it, and you pursue that with far more vigor than you do God, and that leads to death, and this leads to life. The wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The psalmist ends this passage like kind of presenting the conclusion to these different paths. The, 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 the unfaithful, the unworshipper of God, he is judged by the community of the faithful at the day of judgment. Uh, he does not join the council of the righteous. He will not stand in God's judgment, meaning he will not have confidence. He will fail because why? He's not a worshipper of God. He now doesn't see it sit in the seat of the righteous. Instead, he's outcast because of his faithlessness, because of his unworship. When you walk carefully according to the counsel of the world, when you adopt their way of life, except according to the world, when you join the course line of mockers of God and Christ, in the church, and the holy living, it leads to judgment. That's your reward. The wage of the sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6.23. So I want to end with this. Only through Christ Jesus can you be a worshiper of God. Only through Christ Jesus. John Frey said about this psalm, he said, I've been induced to embrace the opinion of some among the ancient interpreters, Augustine is one of them, who conceived that the first psalm is intended to be a description of the chapter and reward of the just one, the Lord Jesus. In actuality, I think this psalm could be an introduction to the whole Bible. The one person who lived on this earth, who literally was one who delighted in the word of God perfectly and truly with Jesus Christ. He is the man described here who fully delighted in the word of the Lord above all else, who meditated on his word day and night. He was planted, fully planted in God because he is God's eternal son, his anointed, his beloved. Without Christ, none of us could be considered a faithful one, a righteous one, or a worshiper of God. That is a fact. Without Christ, you can never fulfill what this psalm says. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, he says. Without Jesus Christ, the Lord does not know you. Jesus will say to those who thought they did all these things for God, I did not know you. Why? Because they did not know Christ. You will not be planted in the graces of God. You will not prosper in all that you do. You will not delight in the Word of God and meditate on Him day and night. Only in Christ can you be a person of all good fortunes. Only in Christ. You cannot pursue this through effort. You cannot pursue this through never sleeping or whatever your strategy is. You'll never pursue it. You'll never achieve it if you're not in Christ Jesus. Because only in Christ Jesus can you be a worshiper of God. And I think the issue that we're seeing in the world today is that the reason why people are abandoning the church, the reason why people are abandoning worship is because they're actually never Christians. They were never Christians. They never delighted in the Word of God. Why? Because they're not Christians. If you're in Christ Jesus, you will delight in the Word of God. And many people think they're Christians, but they actually aren't Christians because they don't actually follow Christ. You cannot be a blessed one, like this passage says, if you do not have Jesus Christ in your life. This is the truth. There's a danger of spiritual neutrality. You're kind of like a light Christian, L-I-T-E. You're a light Christian. You have the Bible. You have a Bible. Uh, you've been to a few youth events in your past. You went to church for a season. Um, but you didn't go with any regularity, right? You just kind of, you had a friend. You went to middle school youth group. You went to a VBS. You went to a camp. You went to a maybe a World Changers, whatever it was. You've been to a few Bible studies. When people ask you if you're a Christian, you say yes, because that's the answer you think you have. You're like, oh, I'm not and not Christian, I feel like a Christian. Go to a few Bible studies a few times with friends, but you don't actually delight in God. You don't spit at his name, but you don't do anything spiritual mostly. You don't do things during the week that, that you do things during the week that you know is sinful and questionable, but they keep, you keep doing it because it's not something illegal and no one's actually getting hurt by it. So is it really a sin? Is it really questionable? There is no spiritual neutrality. This song, which I said is kind of an introduction to the whole Bible, I think, is that it doesn't present a spiritual neutrality. It doesn't present a gray area to spiritual life. Either you're becoming like something in the world, or you're becoming like Jesus Christ. That's just that's just a fact. Either you're becoming like the world, or you're becoming like Christ. You were created to reflect something, and it's either the world, the world, or it's Christ Jesus. And here at Redeemer Fellowship Church we want you to be more like Christ Jesus. We don't want you to be more like the world. We wanna encourage and teach and challenge you to be more like Jesus Christ. And to do that, you must be a worshiper of God. And to be a worshiper of God, you must put your faith and trust in Christ. And by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a worshiper of God, you delight in him, and you become planted in his graces, and when bad things in your life happen, or negative things in your life happen, or good things happen in your life, you will, what, yield fruit, and you will prosper. So I want you, some of you I've never met in my entire life, I'm glad you're here, but I want to encourage you, everyone here, to be to commit to be a worshiper of God. And What does that mean? Summarize it, like I said in the, in the sermon. To be a worshiper of God is to delight in God, to delight in his word. And the way that you can delight in his word is by coming to church regularly and hearing the word of God preached and singing the word of God, sharing communion with us, to be a part of Bible studies, to so read, read the Bible regularly and daily and pursuing knowledge of God. That's how you become a worshiper of God. So if you're someone and you just ignored church your entire college career, or you just ignored church in your life, you are not being a worshiper of God. And we want to encourage you. We want to challenge you. We want to teach you how to be a worshiper of God. Here That is what it means to be a member, and someone who participates in our church, is you are a worshiper of God. And we want to increase that. We want to see that fruit happen. We want to see you pursuing being a worshiper of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for its... Um, It's so black and white. It's so direct. It doesn't provide any wiggle room. It doesn't provide any massive gray area with a sense of of, of kind of vagueness. And yet it presents very simple, very direct. Blessed is the one who delights in me. The one who does not delight in me. The one who delights in the things of the world will perish. Lord, I want to encourage the people here to pursue being a worshiper of God, to delight in God. For those in this room who are not followers of Christ, when they hear that, you know, that's me, man. I I am not a follower of Christ. That's why I struggle so much with this. I struggle to pursue God because I really don't know if I actually believe in Christ, actually trust and believe in him. Lord, I pray that you would give them faith. Lord, that your grace would pour on them, that you would save them and redeem them and make them a worshiper We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.